Welcome everyone to the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology's Expert Series podcast. I'm Wayne Stacy, the Executive Director of BCLT, and I have something special for you today. Uh, for innovation companies, their success is often tied to the skill with which they handle their legal and regulatory issues. Technology is a key portion, but as you know, the law can get in the way of, of a lot of innovation at times, or it can actually support innovation. And what you find is that law and business strategy go hand in hand. And this lesson, lesson is, is especially important for emerging companies and, and re really junior lawyers as they begin to explore their careers. The Berkeley Center for Law and Technology is focused on sharing knowledge and creating conversations around this reality of innovation, the combination of innovation, business, and law. And today we're lucky to have one of the world's leading law firms talk to us about how they support innovation. So let me introduce Matt Meyer from Wilson Sonsini. Matt leads Wilson's Life Science Business Advisory Practice Group. And Matt brought a guest with him today that I'll let him introduce, but this combination of Matt and, and his, his special guest will give you an idea of where the law needs to go and where that intersection of law and business needs to go. So Matt, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, great to be with you. Uh, yeah, I have the pleasure of introducing Jake Chabon, who is the CEO and co-founder of Foresight Diagnostics today. Foresight is a venture-backed molecular diagnostics company that is developing non-invasive cancer detection technologies. And it uses a unique cell-free DNA testing platform that enables the ultra-sensitive detection of tumor-derived DNA in the bloodstream that leads to a more personalized and effective cancer treatment strategy for patients. So Jake, it's great to be with you today. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, I know you've had a busy couple of years since you founded the company in early 2020, at the, really at the beginning of the pandemic. Can you tell us what the catalyst was to start the company at such a challenging time? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I just want to thank you for having me, Matt and Wayne. It's a pleasure to be here today. Um, so I did my, you know, postdoc, my PhD training and my postdoctoral training at Stanford. And I spent close to eight years focused on cancer diagnostic development with my three co-founders, all of which are uh, faculty members at Stanford. Um, so we have been focused on developing more accurate non-invasive cancer detection platforms for many years. And we generated some really exciting data um, kind of mid to late in 2019 that really showed the, the potential for this technology that we're now commercializing at Foresight. And um, it, it's a technology that enables about a hundred fold improvement in analytical sensitivity from the blood for cancer detection compared to existing methods. And, you know, the, the timing of that just happened to coincide with the beginning of the pandemic, um, but we we didn't really let that stop us. It was such a powerful technology that had so much potential to improve, you know, how we're going to treat cancer patients that we needed to launch the company. Um, so that it's really kind of the development of the technology is what catalyzed the formation of the company, um, and it just happened to coincide with the pandemic. You know, Jake, starting a business in any environment is challenging. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned it was, you started this company uh, because it was, the, the time was right. Uh, how did it play out for you? And, you know, what were some of the learnings along the way uh, in starting a company in the midst of the pandemic? 
Um, sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a great question. Um, we were uncertain, you know, at the beginning uh, as to how this was going to affect our efforts. Um, within a couple of months, though, it became pretty clear that business was going to be able to continue with, you know, technologies that enable remote work. Um, the pandemic did pose challenges, but in some ways, I think it also enabled my team um, and myself to focus on this venture more than we would have been able to otherwise, actually, because, you know, ironically, there was nothing else to do, right, during the times of lockdown other than really focus on, you know, the task at hand. So I think I actually put on a lot, put in a lot more hours than I might have been able to otherwise. And that, that allowed us to pretty quickly incorporate obtain a license to the key IP from Stanford, which was a critical step. You know, Wilson and you in particular, Matt, were very helpful in that process. Um, you know, also during this period, the, the broader investment climate, I think actually improved again, somewhat ironically for companies like ours in the diagnostic sector, because there was a lot more focus on, you know, the importance of molecular diagnostics for identifying diseases. Um, and then additionally, I, I would say like, you know, towards fundraising during the pandemic, that was certainly an interesting process, like, you know, having those conversations, numerous conversations with VCs and getting to know them and doing that entirely over Zoom. But again, looking, looking back on it, I think we were actually able to run a more efficient fundraising process in a sh relatively short period of time than we might have been able to otherwise if every one of those interactions had to be in person, which I think was kind of more, you know, common prior to the pandemic. So we, we were able to fundraise pretty quickly and, and get on to the more important task at hand that was actually like operationalizing the test and, you know, beginning our commercial efforts to bring this technology to patients, which is actually the goal. So I know it's kind of a, you know, somewhat unexpected answer, but I would say ironically, it actually, I think, allowed us to accelerate things in many different ways. Yeah, I want to get back to the fundraising process uh, in, in a moment. But you mentioned uh, working with Wilson Sonsini, and you know, I remember our our, our first uh, conversation was uh, on a Zoom call. I think right in March, as the pandemic was just getting started. Uh, and you know, can you talk a little bit more about the factors that led to you uh, so, uh, working with Wilson versus other options that you were considering? Yeah, sure. I mean. You know, th this is my first startup, and I knew that I needed more than just kind of, I don't know, you know, well, cookie cutter kind of legal advice. I needed like business advice. I needed more information about, you know, what are the steps needed to put myself in a favorable, favorable position for fundraising. Um, and, you know, just generally advisors who could help me across a, like a, a wide variety of domains, like incorporation securing our IP from Stanford, bolstering our IP portfolio, securing financing for the company, you know, engaging with investors, putting a business plan together. And, um, you know, when I learned that Wilson Cincinnati also had a business advisory practice, I, I was like, particularly interested in taking advantage of that. And I think that was one of the key factors that led us to um, to work with you because it, it really was, you know, a one-stop shop for pretty much all of our legal needs. And then the, you know, the icing on top was the, the business advisory needs and helping with like literally putting pitch decks together, putting a business plan together. So I think it just felt a lot more efficient and made a lot of sense to me to, to work with one firm that could provide all of those services for, for foresight. Um, 
yeah, I would say that's 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 pretty much kind of how how the decision process went. And I will say we did talk with a number of different firms, and it, it was a we we took and you you'll remember right. I ran a bit of a process, kind of like talking with different groups, and um, I, I'm very happy with the decision we ultimately made. Let's get back to fundraising. You, you talked about uh, that that process, and uh, you know you you mentioned Jake, you're a, you know you, this is your first startup, and uh, Obviously, you've been successful so far in attracting capital and building the company, but it would be helpful if you could talk a little more about the fundraising process, please. Sure. Um, you know, we felt that to successfully raise our first round of financing, we were really going to need a team to support us that understood our business, but also understood it, you know, understood the process of discovering, developing, and ultimately commercializing diagnostic products. Um, we also needed a team that could help, you know, connect us with institutional investors that are, you know, active in this area and, and you know, the right fit for us. Um, and, you know, you know, Wilson's business advisory practice helped us develop, you know, a lot of pieces that were very critical for that, like our strong business plan. Um, and, and you guys really did support us through the process of engaging with VCs, honing our pitch over time, um, going through the technical due diligence process. Um, and at the same time, during this time, we were actively building out our teams and my advisory network. And, um, you know, it was also also useful for, you know, you know, the introductions you were able to make for us for, you know, advisors that I still work with, you know, to this day that have, you know, relevant domain expertise that have been very um, helpful. Um, in terms of the fundraising process it, it, itself, it, you know, again, everything being done over Zoom was interesting. Um, you you get you have to be almost more on your game as a founder kind of pitching because we found that the investors can actively fact check you while you're pitching on the side right because they have screens up and they can kind of be googling and looking up questions and interacting with one another so it was an interesting dynamic to have everything be done over zoom um um but yeah i mean ultimately i think you know it, it went well um you know i worked with the, you, you know, you, you, your group, um, the corporate group and the IP group uh, to successfully like run this, the series, a fun financing process and, we, um, you know, successfully closing our $12 million series, a financing um, towards the end of 2020. So, so you raised your first round and uh, you had the capital to, to start to really lean into the development effort. And as you mentioned, Jake, you know, ultimately that's what you wanted to, to do quickly to, to start to move these, uh, these tests uh, through the clinic and uh, start to help patients and, and their clinicians. So can you talk more about your, your product line, please? Yeah, so we're we're a blood-based cancer diagnostics company. We were initially focusing on disease surveillance, and then kind of furthermore, we're focusing more on um, looking for relapse following curative intent treatment strategies, trying to understand which patients are cured and which patients are not, um, to kind of uh, more 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 you know efficiently move patients that were not cured by that upfront therapy onto additional lines of treatment while the, while the disease is still localized and um, potentially curable. Um, there's, you know, more than, you know, 1.2 million new cancer cases ever diagnosed every year in the U.S. that are amenable to our approach. It corresponds to a, a 
very large market opportunity, about a $25 billion market opportunity for Foresight. Um, and we're, we're prioritizing cancers where detection by our assay, you know, could, could lead to curative intent treatments, as I mentioned. And um, initially, we're focusing on lung, breast, colon, and, and, and others. And then in particular, we're also very focused on, on lymphoma right now, on B-cell lymphomas, where we have a, the, the most uh, data currently on our assay in terms of the clinical utility of the assay. Um, and DLBCL is, is the, the, the most common blood cancer and is the, the one indication that we are primarily focusing on right now. So we offer a variety of, of products, but broadly, I would, I would kind of categorize the, the lymphoma assay and then our, our custom workflow, which is amenable to solid tumors and other heme malignancies, but both assays achieve about a hundredfold improved sensitivity for detection of tumor-derived sulfur DNA from the bloodstream compared to existing approaches. So at the end of 2020, not only did you stand up a, a new company and, and raise a impressive Series A, then you decided to pull the company out of the Bay Area and, and into Colorado. Uh, why make that move? That's a that's a good question, and we we didn't completely you know vacate the Bay Area. We have a we do have a presence in the Bay Area. I have um, executives there and bioinformatics staff, and my my founding team is is in the Bay, and I travel there regularly. So we do still have a presence there, but we did move the laboratory operations to Colorado. Um, there was there was a number of, of you know there was a number of things that led to this decision. One was that we identified an existing CLIA lab that we were able to operationalize in that let us operationalize that the test and and the you know the, the 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 laboratory operations much faster it probably saved us like easily six months more like 12 months to get a clea lab up and running so uh, it, it, the speed was a major factor and then you know long term we we were like very conscious about the fact that we wanted to base the company in a locale that had a you know a more affordable cost of living uh, cost of living than, you know, than we were seeing in the Bay Area, but that also offered access to world-class talent. And um, I, I grew up in, in this area and I'm kind of familiar with the, you know, the talent pool. And there's, you know, a number of universities and really, really strong, you know, life science, R&D talent in, in this area. And uh, we found that, you know, we thought that this, this market in particular, kind of the front range, Denver, Boulder, um, kind of locale really offered a, a rich mix of what we were looking for in terms of R&D talent, um, people in the life science industry with the type of industry experience that we're looking for. And then, you know, a very important consideration was just, it's much more cost effective here to, to, to run a lab. Um, they, our rent for our lab and office space is, is, is much more affordable than, than in the Bay Area. The, the cost of human capital is, is, is lower here. So there's a, the number of, of reasons that that tied into it, but I, I do think it is a very up and coming uh, geography for the life sciences industry. Got it. And I know Wayne uh, and I are gonna chat a little more about the Colorado life science industry uh, later in the program. But just to wrap up, Jake, you know, as you grow the company and look to the future, what advice would you share with fellow life science entrepreneurs about starting and scaling a knowledge-based company like yours? Um, 
you know, I'd, I'd start by really being clear and okay with like what you know and what you don't know. So I'm a, you know, a PhD and postdoctoral trained scientist fo focused on cancer diagnostics research. I, I, I was, went into this with eyes wide open that I, I have not licensed a patent before. I have not, you know, raised a round of financing. And I, from the beginning, really tried to surround myself with advisors that, that could fill those gaps. So I think being okay with what you don't know and really just surrounding yourself with people that, that kind of fill those, those functional gaps with you. Um, you know, all, all companies are on a learning path and mis missteps do occur, but I think all you can do is surround yourself with, with a support structure and a hardworking team, um, you know, that, 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 that spans into all parts of the business, right? Like my co-founding team has, has, been, has been excellent, my board members, our legal and business counsel um, through Wilson. Um, and I, I guess I'd say your, ext your extended team is really what helps you lead your venture to success. Um, so that'd be my biggest, biggest piece of advice is, you know, surround yourself with people that you trust that can, that can help you be successful. That's great, Jake. I appreciate your, uh, your, your comments and your time and really helpful insights. Yeah. Thank well, you. Jake, I, I have to tell you that, that one of the reasons I was excited about this particular interview is, you know, I spent 16 years in Boulder uh, focused on the, the startup community, you know, lived, lived there in downtown Boulder, um, then on the outside of Boulder and absolutely loved it. Uh, life kids eventually brought me to, to, uh, to California. So I may be the only person that moved from Ca uh, Colorado to California to get a higher cost of living. So I do feel for you on that move. Yeah, yeah, thank you. No, yeah, it's a it's a great area. We've we've hired some people actually from the Bay Area that are they're relocating to, to Colorado and they're they're quite excited about the move. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, I, I hear that the secret is out. Uh, real estate prices are are going up at the California real estate prices rate locally uh, recently. That's true, but you know, they're still lower than the Bay Area. They have to be. They have to be. Well, it makes sense for for tech companies to to relocate. I know that the talent pool is is tremendous. Uh, there have been a lot of great uh, mature companies come out of uh, of Colorado. I'm a I'm a Boulder fan, not a not a Denver fan, just because you have to pick a team when you're there. You're either Boulder or Denver, and I chose Boulder. But it's all a great a great state for that front. One of the questions though is what's the legal market and how does the legal market help? And it seems that a lot of times people have, you know, in Colorado, come to California or go to New York for top-end legal help and don't stay local. Um, then Wilson shows up. What's what's the long-term plan, Matthew? Yeah, Wayne. You know, I think uh, as uh, Jake and, and the foresight experience have exemplified. Uh, you know, Colorado is is only growing in terms of its uh, its importance in the life science ecosystem nationally and internationally. I would argue, and you know that's why Wilson decided to uh, open an office in Boulder. And we want to be where the technology, the science is is growing and where the capital is flowing. So you know, if you look at the uh, look at the trends in the industry. There's more money being raised in Colorado now than ever before, specifically in 2021, uh, bioscience companies raised a combined total of $2.4 billion. 
which is literally double the amount raised in the prior year 2020. So as more capital flows into the state, uh, more uh, scientists and entrepreneurs like Jake uh, come into Colorado. Uh, again, Wilson wants to be a resource to support the success and the growth of those companies, both on the legal and the business advisory side. So you see the, the legal community growing hand in hand with, uh, with the growth in the bio fields. I do. Again, I think for the, uh, some of the reasons, some of the themes that Jake touched on, uh, as those companies grow, their need for counsel, experienced life science counsel to help them with the license agreements that they're going to need to sign, the uh, fundraising processes, and all of the related uh, legal uh, support uh, that comes from building a company. I, I think, yes, the, the market will grow in tandem with the growth of the, of the industry. Now, you lead something that has a name that most law firms don't have uh, called the, you know, the business advisory practice support. I mean, it's in its name is the, the key to the or key to the job is it's it's business advisory. And I, I heard Jake talk about it a little bit, or actually quite a bit about how important that is to have that partnership beyond just the, the legal question. How does the that California based advisory practice migrate or support this growing Colorado effort? Yeah, well, maybe first, it, it, you sort of touched on it, but I think uh, having a business advisory practice within a law firm is unusual. And Wilson, I think, uh, is an unusual firm in that it's always focused on the entrepreneur. And we cut our teeth as a law firm in the 60s in the Silicon Valley, uh, supplying you know, legal advice to companies like Hewlett Packard and Apple Computer. And then uh, we realized that not only can we help these companies be successful on the legal side, but if we can provide them with the business counsel that Jake touched on, helping them think through financings, business plans, business models, et cetera, it will support those companies' growth and success. So as we open our office in Colorado, uh, we plan to support uh, the needs of these companies on the business side as well. So right now that means a lot of trips from the Bay Area over to Colorado to support these companies. And over time, we anticipate uh, having a uh, direct presence, uh, some colleagues, professionals on the business side who would be on the ground there to support uh, the, the efforts of the firm broadly. Wonderful. Look forward to, to watching the, the growth in Colorado of the industry, uh, both legal and the life sciences. So Matt, Jake, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Wayne. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Wayne.